0: Good morning everyone. Welcome to all of our online viewers. Uh, For our first song today, if everyone would please turn to page number 25 and stand. We're going to sing Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. Page number 25. Now, if we'll turn over to page number 41 for our second song, we're going to sing How Lovely Are Thy Dwellings, after which we'll get Mr. Johnny Padilla to come do our opening prayer. Page number 41. Mr. Johnny Padilla
1: in Jesus name and prayer our heavenly glorious father we come before you to worship you to give you thanks and for all that you do for us father and father coming out of this this world this world of darkness in full of vanity father is just sad it is what it is and Father, will come before you that you want to know each one of us because we're, we're special, Father, because we have this Holy Spirit in us. And, and so saying, Father, we do want your, your truth, Father, and ask the Holy Spirit to be over our speaker and for him uh, as we listen to his message and receive truth. And give us guidance so we'll be closer um, to Jesus Christ. And for those on the infirmity, may may you heal them and comfort them in your special way, Father. And again, Father, give you thanks for all that you do for us. Amen. Thank
0: you, Johnny. And now for our main message today, Mr. Ron Harmon.
2: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to all those out there in internet land. Um, before I get going today, uh, I have some sad news. Uh, Betty mullen Moulton, I can't remember exactly how to say her last name, she passed away this last week. She had cancer. She was out to feast with us. And um, just uh, we got a card back there, it's signed for. Um, if you want to put your name up.
3: Huh?
2: Yeah, yeah. She was in a wheelchair. Exactly right. <clears throat> and she's been in church quite a while. And uh, just keep keep the, her family and friends in the prayers because that's always a sad, hard thing to go through. All right. When I think of warnings from God, my mind automatically goes to... Uh, Matthew twenty four thirty six. If you want to turn there, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. I will to talk about warnings from God because we do get warnings um, that are for us, for God's people, and He wants us to know the repercussions of turning away from Him or turning to false gods. So, in Matthew twenty four thirty six through forty one, it says this. It says. Uh, about that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until that the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man be. And at that time, there will be two men in the field. One will be taken, one will be left, and two women will be be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. So what we see in these verses, there's a strong emphasis on telling God's church, you must be prepared for a time when the world is going to be consumed by chaos. The Messiah, he started out by saying, you can't know the day and the hour. It's not possible because the Father alone is the only one who, can know, who knows the day and the hour. So, it makes one wonder why so many out there are, I call them sky pilots.
3: <laughs>
2: it irritates them, that's why I call them sky pilots. But anyway, it says they're so willing to proclaim that they in fact do know the day and the hour of the Messiah's return. And so, you know, you got to think, how how can any human possibly think they know something that the Messiah says that you can't know? That's incredible, right? But they do it all the time. And it reminds me of the previous verses in this chapter and other verses where we are to beware of false prophets. It tells us in Matthew 7, uh, 15 through 20 is a reference, and then in Jeremiah 14:14 14, 14, he says this. Then the Lord said to me, "The prophets are prophesying lies in my name." Boy, do they! I mean, there's just no end to how much is prophesied in uh, in in the name of of Jesus Christ or the, the Messiah or however you want to um, uh, say it. But he goes on to say, it says, I've not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false visions, div- divinations, idolatries, and delusions of their own minds. He covers the whole gamut. So he didn't leave anything out when he, when he described it that way. And this poses the challenges for ministers like myself. We stand behind the pulpit every Sabbath and try to bring sermons and lessons from the Scriptures to those in God's church. And so I have to ask myself, how can I give you instructions from God and not cross that line? How can I not become quote, uh, categorized as a false prophet? And that's very important to me that, that I ask myself that and that I keep that in mind when I, I'm standing up here speaking to you. How can I give you instruction from God and not cross the line of becoming a false, false prophet? That challenge is something really that we all face because you represent God too when you go out and talk to family and friends. So it's a pers- it becomes a personal challenge to each one of us. Well, the second part of the warning, he says that time will be like the days of Noah. <clears throat> now it took Noah approximately 120 years for him and his sons to build the ark. Now how many warnings do you believe that he personally gave in that time period to his fellow man about the end of, the end of days? Because you have, to, you have to think to yourself, surely they came up and asked him why he was doing something the way he was doing it you know, and there was an opportunity to talk to him. Well, you say, well, there's no evidence that he gave a verbal warning to anybody in the Scriptures. Why well, I get that. Yeah, I, you're right. There's no scriptural evidence that he gave any kind of warning to anybody. But would that be practical for him not to do so? Well, I don't think it would be. If you knew there was an impending world-ending event about to occur... Would you not warn at least your family? And perhaps even your friends. Depending on your friends. But but you know, Noah had brothers and sisters. Did you know that? And most likely there was cousins, nieces, and nephews, and different things like that. They had quite an extensive family back in those days. And... And you say, well, how can I possibly know this? By what the scriptures say about Noah's uh, genealogy. If you'll turn to Genesis 5, 28 through 31, we'll start with Lamech, which was Noah's uh, father. It says, now Lamech lived 182 years and fathered a son, verse 29, and he named him Noah, saying this one will give us comfort from our, from our work and from the hard labor of our hands caused by the ground which the Lord has cursed. Then Lamech lived 595 years after he fathered Noah, and he fathered other sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. So he fathered other sons and daughters. Noah had brothers and sisters, and they had children, of course. So there was other family out there other than his three sons. You think he didn't tell them? You think you think they didn't come, you know, every Thanksgiving they come up here and say, "No, are you still building the ark? <laughs> you still doing this crazy thing?" And he said and sure he'd say, "Yeah. I am because God told me to do so and this the world is coming to an end. You know if you if you want to buy a ticket, I got one, but it's going to cost you your allegiance to God. So, if it was me personally, I would at least warn them out of love and concern. There's no reason not to think that he didn't. Actually, it also says in Second 2 Peter 2.5, it says, "...and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah." Now look at what he says here. "...a preacher of righteousness with seven others." when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So, Peter has this ideal that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Well, where did Peter get the idea? Well, did he and the Messiah have some kind of conversation while they were on the road somewhere sometime and, and, and the Messiah related to him what he told Noah and what... Noah was doing during that time? Well, I I don't see any reason why he wouldn't have. So Peter had, you know, probably got a direct information from the Messiah about, about the character of Noah and what he was doing. So, and we would actually stop and think about it, we'd be naive to even think otherwise. Yet, we see that there is an approach in this world with many people that won't even consider that Noah could be a preacher. And we'll get to that in just a minute. So Noah, according to Peter, was a preacher of righteousness. Well let's look at this the definition of the word preacher before we get too far into this. And in Strong's in the Greek twenty seven eighty three, it says the word of the word means a herald or messenger vested with public authority who conveyed the official message of the king, magistrate, princes, military commanders, or who gave a public summons or demand or performed various other duties. In the New Testament, God's ambassador and herald or proclaimer of the divine word. So he's a, proc- a proclaimer of the divine word. I don't know what that encompassed prior to the flood. I really don't. But some there had to be something that they adhered to in order for Noah to be be considered righteous. Wouldn't you think? in the sight of God, compared to all the other people in the world. Could that be something like keeping the Sabbath? As simple as that. Keeping the food laws? As simple as that. Well, I think so. It may, You can say that's my opinion, but that's fine. I think, it, I think according to Genesis, what we see in Genesis, God established the Sabbath, the very first week that, that in the creation. So it's reasonable to assume that Noah was keeping the Sabbath. Now, this definition would indicate Peter felt Noah preach to his fellow man in the message of repentance. And he gave them a witness and warning about their impending doom. But what about Noah's sons and his wife? Did they not? Preach to the world as well, their cousins, brothers, sisters, and so forth? Well, sure they did. They're out in the community, you know, buying vegetables for supper or whatever, you know, whatever they gotta do. And they're mixing with the people in the villages and different things, and they're talking to people and saying, you know, and they're asking them the same questions. You still building that that big old boat out in the middle of nowhere? And they're and that's an opportunity, see? that's an opportunity for them to to get into the discussion about God's will. You can't, it's hard to believe that, that Noah and his immediate family spent all that time building that big old ark out in the middle of nowhere and all the inquisitive people coming by asking, what are you doing? You know? And they didn't talk to them. It just, it, to me, it just doesn't, it, it just, it's not two and two. It's, it's got to equal four. So, is that what you would do? Of course, you're going to talk to anybody, especially your family and friends, and give them a witness and warning. So the other side of the equation is that no one listened. Not a one of them. They did not listen to any warnings from Noah, his family, his, his sons, his wife. They just, they just flat didn't listen. And they were destroyed because of, the, because of their not hearing or willing to hear. Now, moving from then to now, we see much of the same attitudes today, don't we? We really do. And that's what Christ was talking about in Matthew 24. So excluding all those that just outright deny that there is a sovereign God, the atheists, the ungodly, the evil, immoral segment of society, you know, those folks. And speaking only to Christians who supposedly believe that there is a God and He he is the means to their spiritual salvation... And a life extending past death. I'm speaking to those folks. What is the response when you when when it's pointed out to you that the scriptures are in 180 degrees opposite of what you're being taught in your churches? I'm I'm just asking, asking for a friend. <laughs> typically you're not going to hear spiritually based doctrine outside traditional teachings, are you? Most folks won't. Even folks in this church, prior to coming into our church, prior to coming into God's church, how resistant were you toward keeping the Sabbath? How resistant were you toward giving up your pork? Mmm, important jobs. Yeah, right? Yeah. And instead cling to non-biblical teachings and celebrations such as Christmas and Easter while denying Leviticus 23, which is in your face. And I'll extend the challenge today that I've extended many times. If you can show me where God said in the Bible to keep the first day of the week holy or Sunday holy, I will join you tomorrow. Or show me in the Bible where it says to keep the birth of the son of the Messiah or the son of the father the Messiah on December 25th, called Christmas, I will do it. But you can't. It's not there not maybe in some of the new bibles that's there but not in not in the original text now this is a window into noah's world a place where he lived we're looking at that and he this was a window into a world while he was doing an extraordinary feat by building this enormous ark, it was about approximately, if I get my figures right, I didn't look it up, 75 feet wide and 450 feet long. The only thing that would have made it even more extraordinary is if he had done it in his basement. A little NCIS humor for you. (laughs) Sorry, I can't help it. So Christians should take a little time and learn the lessons from Noah, shouldn't they? They should, but they won't, okay? It's a warning for end times. It's a warning for us all, even the people in God's church, for us to... Adhere to and look at the scriptures and see how we can make those things, God's will, fit our lives. Now here's some statistics for you. I know you love statistics. An ABC poll, and I know you love ABC, so. An ABC news poll shows only 64% of Christians believe the stories in the Bible. Christians. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about Christians. 64% only 64% believe the stories of the of the Bible. Only 60% of the Christians believe the story of Noah and the flood. 61% in the same poll believe the creation story is true. There's another 39% that don't believe that the creation is true. How can you not be a Christian and and not believe in in the uh, in the creation now at the same poll a whopping 80% of these same christians believe the jews are responsible for the death of jesus they may be responsible for getting him there and if it's taken literally then i guess they miss the romans role in this event because they're the ones that actually put him to death So no matter what you think of the messenger, this brief insight would be a warning within itself. There's a lot of Christians out there who say they believe in God, but they don't believe in the Bible. They don't believe what God said. They don't believe in His prophets. They don't believe in the message that they give. There is a very significant lack of faith and belief in so-called Christianity community. That's a shame. But, you know, I'm going to tell you something, though. If you think that's exclusive to the Christian community, you would be very wrong. Because we have people in our church that don't believe some of this stuff either. And I've had conversations with folks like that. But a major contributing factor is a doctrine spread by Christian leaders. Says, you don't need to do anything but just believe in the name of Jesus. That's all you got to do. And I really do. I feel assured that the Messiah knew when he created man and Satan entered the picture that there would be resistance to the truth and that would become overwhelming for man eventually. So he had to put in place in time ways to to counteract that, one of those ways is warnings and telling people what he expected of them. And he did that in a a series of warnings even through visions or direct communication by prophets. Now, these warnings applied to man all the way back 5,000 years ago all the way up to today. There is there is as relevant then as they are now or now as they were then. And we can see that it's illustrated by Jeremiah in chapter 17, verses five through seven. <clears throat> this is what the Lord says. Cursed is a man who trusts in mankind and makes his flesh uh, makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord, for he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see prosperity come but uh, excuse me but will live in the stony waste in the wilderness a land of salt that is not inhabited blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord now he says cursed is a man and curse is a harsh word and even harsher when the action is taken but stop and think about this and, I, and I'll, I'll get your mind working with this, with this next statement. That curse is not always applied by God. Think about that for a second as we go through this. But first, let's look at this. What is a curse like coming from God? In Deuteronomy, the cursings and blessings of God are spelled out to the children of Israel just before they cross over the Jordan and the death of Moses. And the blessings is apparent whenever you look at these things. We're not going to get into that. We don't have enough time. And I would think that they're they're what you would want for any nation or or us personally as a people. And they boil down to prosperity, peace, and security. And God has sworn to bless his people as long as they obeyed him and walked in his way. And disobedience, on the other hand, is an entirely different manner. Disobedience has the natural effect of bringing curses upon the the land and the people. And because God removes his protection from the land, this is a natural occurrence. In Strong's, the Hebrew word is arar, A-R-A-R, to execute or execrate, execrate I can't say the word in place a curse. But in the actual Hebrew language, the word is pronounced, the word AR is pronounced aor. A-R-O-R and means to remove the influence of God. Now curse in Hebrew, Aor, which comes from the idea of the situation where God is not present in one's life. To curse someone is to demand that God removes his blessings or protective protected covering, his sukkot, or arm of protection from that person. Now, this seems to be the case with Israel when we look at the history of the people. And so as we go through Deuteronomy 28 and we look at this, or look at what disobedience brings, we'll look at the first ten verses only. Because it goes way, quite a bit farther past that. And we'll look at how excluding God from our lives brings upon these curses. In Deuteronomy 28.15 it says, But it shall come about, if you do not obey the Lord your God, to be careful to follow all of His commandments, His statutes, which I am commanding you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. So by not, by not obeying God, His commandments, His statutes, there's this natural phenomenon of curses just, just occurring in our lives. Because, stop and think about it. We have God who created this world. We have the Holy Spirit who functions in this world and, 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 and makes things work. And, and, and whenever you remove God from your presence and you reject the Holy Spirit, then what do you got left? What do you got left in your life? Well, you got Satan. He's going to fill the void. And what comes with Satan? With God, we get blessings. With Satan, we get cursings. So, his people must obey his commandments. He puts that stipulation in his wording, it, it's not a suggestion. And they're not just the ones you like. We can't do nine and exclude number four. It doesn't work that way. And I know what some people out there are thinking. Well, the New Testament law is different. It's all about love and not actually following the Old Testament. Well, a couple of things on this. At first, if you turn to John 15, 1 through 11, the Messiah spells out, how God's relationship with man is developed. The Messiah did this in the New Testament, so it'd be good for all of you Old Testament rejecters to listen to this. The Messiah, he said, Well, let's go with this. I am the true vine, and my Father is a vine dresser. Verse 2 And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And remain in me and I in you. And just as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. We can't function as, as God's people unless we remain in Him. And look at what He said about His relationship with the Father. I am the vine. You are the branches, and the one who remains in me, and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Verse 6, And if anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a, like a branch and dries up, and they will gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. And if you remain in me, my words remain in you, and ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to me my disciples, just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you and remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept the Father's commandments and remain in His love. Now, do you think those are different commandments? No, they're the same. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy be in you and that your joy be in may be made full. This totally fits with with being blessed by God and not cursed. So we are blessed by obedience, the Messiah says, because we become one with Him and the Father. We are cursed because we are disobedient to His will and remove ourselves from His presence. The Christian world today has done this by touting doctrines such as the law is nailed to the cross or we're un- not under the law any longer because Christ did away with those old requirements. Yet we see in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 through 19 this very simple st- statement that Christ made, do not presume that I come to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. The law of the prophets is the Old Testament It's what he's making reference to. I know a lot of people in in the world out there don't understand that and they like to think that it's just the Ten Commandments or something like that. But that's not the case. It's the first five books of the Bible and then the prophets are the the second section of the Bible. And then you get the Psalms. He's talking about the 22 Bibles that make up the, the, the Hebrew Bible. Or the Jewish Bible if you want to put it that way. Yet we so he says, "I did not come to abolish, but to fulfil for truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke or of a letter shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished, and therefore whoever nullifies one of the least of these commandments and teaches other to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven now." All of that we've gone through many times, and we've talked about it on several occasions. But the one thing that I find interesting about this statement from the Messiah it occur, it occurs right after the Beatitudes, and but between the Beatitudes and this statement are some are are about four verses that I want to look at because I find those very interesting. We don't normally look at those when we in conjunction with Matthew 5:17. But look at this statement in the declaration about the law after the beatitudes in Matthew 5:13 through 16. He says, "You are the salt of the earth." But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by people. You are the light of the world, a city on the hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand it gives light to all those who are at the house. You must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So he's saying, you're supposed to be a witness and a warning. You're supposed to be a light to the world. That is your good works, part of your good works. You are, you are to be an example, just like Noah was, just like his sons were, just like his wife was. Now, I don't know if Noah's sons actually followed after their father. There's indication after the flood they didn't do so well, but there you go. And works is one of those things that Christians tell us that they are no longer necessary. Yeah, here again, he say that they may see your good work. That's not an accident in wording. He's telling us that we have to do something. Now, which attitude, this is a rhetorical question, I don't want to have a bunch of people yell back at me, okay. <clears throat> which attitude do you think brings one closer to God? Obedience or Disobedience. You would think that would be an easy question, right? Or an easy answer. You would think in Deuteronomy twenty-eight sixteen through 20 it says, curse will you be in the city and curse will you be in the, in the country. Now we're going to see in a minute where that's not such an easy answer for some folks. So that's kind of what we see today in our Christian nation. We've taken God from schools, out of government, because it offends those that hate our nation. Let me just put it that way. And remember, not having God in our lives leaves us cursed. I want to keep emphasizing that for the sake of those that are hard of hearing, like myself. (laughs) Today, Our nation is in absolute disarray because we fail to make any national decisions based upon God and His will. And excluding God or the fact that He has cursed our nation and Christians can claim all they want, that God is in their lives, but Scriptures illustrate otherwise. And they do. I don't know how many Christians in Sunday churches always come up, you know, they never fail to come up and tell me, "said God has just blessed me. Has He really? People are blessed, but it doesn't mean that God is in their lives. There's a lot of atheists, and a lot of people out there that don't, don't believe in God that are, might consider themselves blessed if they wanted to use the word. So what is what is relevant to blessed? Does that mean you got a lot of money and you got more cars and you got a big old house and you got a family? Is that being blessed? What is blessed? Blessed means you have God in your life. Deuteronomy seventeen through nineteen, curse will be your basket and your kneading bowl. That's that's like where you put all the components for bread together. (laughs) 18. Cursed will be the children of your womb, and the produce of your ground, and the newborn of your herd, and the offsprings of your flock. Cursed will will you be when you come in, and cursed will you be when you go out. These three verses are very relevant to what's happening in our country today. What do you see in the grocery stores today? Empty shelves were once, not so long ago, it was natural to see them just full of of product. The sad part of this is there's no reason for that happening. And it's only because of ungodly men's greed that this is even possible. Men in government are filled with evil agendas. They always have been, they always will be. And they add to the food shortages and not only to that but to abortions, naturalized abortions in our nation. So curse is is the child in the womb of ungodly people because they don't take consideration of what God's will is before they go out and have a good time. Or once they have a good time and all of a sudden they're Saddled with the results of it, they don't put God in their lives to consider the child that's growing in their womb. It's just a thing. We can get rid of it. No big deal. And this is one of the evilest, vile practices men and women have ever conceived, in my humble opinion, next to just taking them out and burning them in the pits of Moloch. So how can people call themselves Christians when they advocate the killing of the innocent? Yet many do. Our own president says he's a Christian. He's a practicing Catholic. Yet he advocates abortion does everything he can to have abortion legalized all the way up to the point of birth and possibly even after. I don't know what what his thoughts on that are. And God has no dealing with these people. I can assure you of that. You realize that because he's not in their lives. It makes one wonder, do men and women pray to God before they go through one of these procedures? Oh, God, protect me and keep me from having bad problems while they're ripping this baby out of my womb or ripping this thing It's like a conversation which was occurring the other day that I joined in, talking about eating pork. And based upon all the poisonous and disgusting toxins and poisons that are absorbed in the fats of pigs. And it's quite an an incredible article. I saved it, I ought to print it out. But one of the comments floored me. I couldn't help respond anyway. He stated that if he prayed to God over unclean food, that God would make it clean. It's okay to eat after that. So if a woman prayed to God to make a baby in her womb into nothing, it's okay to get rid of it then? Is that the Christian attitude? How about anything else that the Bible says is is against the will of God? Can you just pray and make it right? Can you as a Christian pray on Sunday and say, God bless this day, and God's going to do it? See, in, in their eyes they think, well, if I pray to God over this thing, then it's no longer a sin. Or it's no longer, a po- God is God opposed to it. So, we pray to God to ignore our blatant disobedience and He will accommodate our will. I knew there was something I never caught about religion. Mm. No wonder he says we will be cursed going out and coming in. Because we have neglected the will of God over our own desires. Look at what he says next. Deuteronomy 28.20 Then the Lord will send against you curses, panics, and rebuke, and in everything you undertake to do, until you are destroyed, until you are perished, until you perish quickly, on account of the evil of your deeds, because you have abandoned me. Well, sounds like he doesn't agree with that guy. not one bit. He says because you do this, you've abandoned me. See that? Put, that takes you out of the blessed category and puts you in the cursed category. And just like there's only two churches in the Bible, there's only two conditions of one's spiritual life, blessed or cursed. There is no gray area in between. So, does anything come to mind when you read this verse? How about the COVID-19 scare? Aren't decisions about personal health being made Based upon fear and not God. I heard a group of church folks discussing the vaccines and how important it was for other church members to get vaccinated. And, I, and, and before I get into this any further, I just want to tell you, it's your decision whether you want to get vaccinated or not. And we should not put anybody down whether they do or do not. That is their personal decision. And we need to just let people live and let live. But they were just, I have nothing. Personally, I have not, and I will not. And they were ridiculing those like myself opposed to getting the vaccine, vaccinated and as if we were doing something wrong. And I told the group, I'll put my faith in God before some proposed Savior from a needle. And that just shut the whole group up. But it shows just how panicked It's just a whisper away. And the government can manipulate that real easy. Real easy. And we've seen that, and we've learned that lesson. And if we don't take that as a lesson in this country, we are fools. Now, what about the disarray we saw with our departure from Afghanistan? Afghanistan? What have we seen there? A hasty withdrawal leading to thousands of supporters of America being left behind, or we, they call them Americans. I don't know how much American they are or are not. And not to mention how many non-Christians in the first days of this sea that they loaded onto the that they don't have any idea who they are and brought to the, to the country. And, and these same folks that they're bringing in will undermine our supposed godly principles in this nation. Because what are they bringing in? A different religion, a different belief. Did this bring our nation closer to God? Did we somehow ingratiate ourselves to God because we saved some undeserving Afghans? Does that sound harsh? Remember God said not to go after other gods or even inquire of what they do. Deuteronomy 28 or I mean 12 28 through 30. He says be careful and listen to all these words which I am commanding you so that it may go well for you and your sons and after, after you forever. For you will be doing what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. When the Lord your God cuts off from you the nations which are going, you are going in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and live in their land, be careful that you are, in, you are not ensnared to follow after them after they have destroyed from your presence and you do not inquire after their God, saying, How do these nations serve their gods that I may also do likewise? And you know, when you stop and look at that, and you stop and think about the, the Islamic religion, it demands you worship their God. We're filling our nation with those that would demand that we worship their God and not the true God. At the point of death. That shows a level of intelligence from a Christian nation that I can't even express. Do we. How have we grown closer to God as a nation and a people over the last 30 years? Somebody, please explain that to me. I challenge anyone to give me a satisfactory answer to that question. We haven't. We haven't. Let's keep going. Deuteronomy 28 21 through 22. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has eliminated you from the land where you are entering to take possession of it. Verse 22 The Lord will strike you with consumption, inflammation, fever feverish heat, and with the sword, and blight, and with mildew, and they will pursue you until you perish. Cleaning plagues seems like a headline today, doesn't it? It really does. A sickness we have in our society today that has a 99% survival rate. And we wring our hands about this, this sickness. When the regular everyday flu can be just as deadly and and just as high a percentage of death rate as the same sickness. Yet there's no shutting down of the economy, no demand that we wear a mask, nothing like that whenever it's the flu or influenza. But with the so-called covid there are many other side effects that can occur because we put such a burden on the people because of the sickness not just how it clings to you because it does i'm still trying to get over it completely but there are other side effects in our economy and in 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 in, in what we do to our children and in the schools and things like that and that's what it's talked about. We have side effects to this. Not to mention, it puts people out of work. When people get put out of work because of the mandates to wear a mask or to get a shot or something for that reason, then there's less people that can produce. And then all, as a result, we get higher grocery prices, higher fuel prices, and all this other stuff that goes on in our society. The effects that can occur because we put such a burden on the people as a direct result of this sickness, is things like common with blight and sword and mildew. And they'll pursue us until we perish, unless we stand up and do something about it. But that's not going to happen, is it? And as we see in verse 22, many other illnesses accompany the plague and sickness, which, like I said, I can attest to. And violence in the cities—they go along with this because there's the people are out of work, and it it may cause people, because of lack of food and medicine, to do things decent people to do things that they never would do otherwise. Blight and mildew destroys our field and fruit trees because fields and, and those things can't be attended to. They can't be harvested. Now, Deuteronomy 28 23 through 24. He says, The heaven which is over you shall be bronze and the earth which is under you iron and the Lord will make the rain of your land powder and dust and from heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Now what could possibly make the heavens bronze? How about a massive wildfire? You ever seen the heavens after while a wildfire is going on? That's the color I would describe it as. But that is a direct effect of environmentalists and the worship of mother earth which has given us massive regulations regarding our forests, where the underbrush cannot be removed. It's a direct cause of taking God out of our society. All of these things are a direct cause of taking God out of our society. Laws regulating the natural use of lands. So fires that once were common and not that big a deal, are now massive undertakings that are really difficult to put out. And they destroy homes and lives and different things like that. And I don't even want to get it. We're all in Texas, we're all familiar with drought. We know what the lack of rain does, especially here in Texas. But how does removing God from our presence affect us in a drought? Well, God causes droughts. That's very evident. And we can make a drought worse by not having God because of regulations. Again. And we all remember when drought drove Joseph brothers to Egypt where they came face to face with a brother that they thought they'd kill. Joseph himself. And that's in Genesis 41. And we see that where Joseph interprets the king's dreams, where there would be seven years of plenty and seven years of drought, and not enough food. And droughts cause weird and funny things to happen during this time. In Joseph's case, he went from being in prison to the second in all the land. And during that time of drought, the people sold all they owned, or practically, to the government, just to get food to eat. And the people went from being independent to rely upon everything that they need from the king and the government. Are we doing that today? Are we giving up everything that we have in this nation and we owe to this nation just to have some kind of safety? Have we lost our faith in God? Losing faith in God might mean you've lost everything that God has blessed you with. Stop and think about that. In Deuteronomy 28, 25 through 26, says the Lord will cause you to be defeated by your enemies. You will go out one way against Him, but you will flee seven ways from their presence. You will be an example of terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your dead bodies will serve as food for all the birds of the sky and the animals of the earth and there will be no one to frighten them away. That's a scary picture of a nation without God. A nation cursed. And that happens. When we choose weak and effectless leaders in our society. Godless men who think only of themselves and what they can do to hold power over all the others. Most are cowards because they don't want to take the chance of losing their hold over the people that they supposedly serve. Their actions bring upon war because they, do not, because they appear weak to the enemy. And the enemy says, well, I'm going to get a slice of this pie. And we see that in our, in our world today. Armies will flee when they should be standing and fighting because of, all because of policies from politicians, which are rid- ridiculous on the battlefield, battlefield. An army must be free to what, do what's necessary on the battlefield, feel, uh, free from bureaucracy. And they also need to be guided by God free from bureaucrats. As as in the case of Gideon in Judges 6. And the necessity of God sending Gideon to battle with only 300 men because, because of the evil that the Israelites were doing. You realize that? He had to do this because of the evil that the Israelites were doing. They were worshipping Baal and other foreign gods of the Midianites and Amalekites and what is referred to as the people of the east. We've we got a lot of people of the east in our country today. And a lot of people like to, like to f- find out how they do their worshipping. They like their incense. They like their mmm. And you know, and all that other stuff. With God, a few men can conquer an army. Without God, an army will conquer us. We seem to have the shoe on the other foot in our nation. Why? Because we've shut the door in God's face. We stand cursed because we remove the influence of God from our country, our lives, and our children's lives. God has been replaced by false teachings and doctrines of greed. So pray all you want to make swine clean or a medical procedure to remove a child honorable or the healing of our nations. Pray all you want. Give it a good show like like the priest of Baal did on Mount Carmel with with Elijah. Elijah stood back and says, boy, give him another one. Pray, Pray hard. Keep going. Pray, pray. Pray all you want. God didn't hear them. He didn't honor them. And we see what happened once before when this occurred. Jeremiah 11, 11 through 14. He says, Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I will surely bring calamity upon them, which they will not be able to escape. And though they cry to me, I will not listen to them. I keep hearing people say, well, we we got to get back to being a godly nation. Well, how can we do that when it's such a large proportion of our nation doesn't care for our God, the true God? Or even walk it back to 50 years ago to what a Christian nation looked like. Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go out and cry to the gods of whom they... Have, Offer incense, and they won't—they won't save them, all the time of their trouble. So, all these other things aren't going to save us. All these other things are practically just straw dogs in our society. They're not going to work. Verse 13, For the for according to the number of your cities were your gods, O Judah, and according to the number of the streets of Jerusalem, you have set up altars to that shameful thing, altars to burn incense, to ball. So, they, so do not pray for this people or lift up a cry of, or a prayer for them, for I will not hear them in the time that they cry out to me because of their trouble. You know, when I do these sort of sermons, it seems like I paint a hopeless picture and all is lost. But I need you to always remember that we have a merciful God, a God who loves His people, and those that follow Him and keep His commandments. The nation of Israel sinned against God over and over, and when God had had enough, they were taken into captivity because they abandoned God in His ways. And He told them in Second Chronicles thirty verse nine, He says, "For." If you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who lead them captive, so that they may come back to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn His face from you if you return to Him. But you've got to return to Him the way He wants you to return to Him, not the way that you think that you can do it. And the Messiah, He holds a special promise to those that don't reject His message and His ways. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, I want to briefly speak to all the fence sitters out there and those that might be watching to see what I say they don't necessarily believe the way we believe. I speak to the unbeliever as well. I'm, this is not an altar call. We don't do altar calls here. That's not what this is. But God says to repent and He will be merciful. Now, I can't tell you what you have to do in your life. To become one of God's people. But just like Noah. I'm telling you. You better prepare yourself. Because even even if that natural disaster. Even the Messiah doesn't come in your lifetime. You're going to die one day. And that is going to be your meeting place with Christ. That's going to be your apocalypse. That's going to be your natural End time disaster. Now, there's a future with God in our lives. And we are blessed with having God in our lives. Without Him, we are cursed. And death and destruction is what is the eventual or end end result. Be called one of God's holy people. That is a blessing. Be called Israel. Choose life today. Choose His ways. And follow His guidance into a world of tomorrows.
0: Thank you, Ron. Now for our final song today, if everyone would please turn to page number 83 and stand. We're going to sing, Unless the Lord Shall Build the House, after which we'll get Mr. Billy Seth to come to our closing prayer. Page number 83. Thank you, and now for our closing prayer, Mr. Billy Stevic.
1: Dear Heavenly Father, our loving Dad, we thank you for this great message that you've given us with this warning.
3: Let us heed this warning. Re-examine where we're at. We ask for dismissal from the Sabbath service. We thank you for what you provided. We know you are the provider of all of our manna. And we thank you for that. And we understand today you're providing us with pizza for our physical bodies. Thank you in all kinds of different flavors. Please guide and direct all of us as we go home and throughout the week. And help us with giving us the Holy Spirit to let our light shine before men. And we ask all of this through your
2: son.
1: So let your will be done.